are listening to The Truth Tank, and I'm your host, The Tank. Big welcome if you're a new listener, and welcome back if you're a repeat listener. So in the last episode, we had a look at the Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny trailer. We looked at some of the rumors surrounding the film, mainly the alleged time travel plot, and Indiana Jones being replaced by Helena Shaw, Phoebe Waller-Bridge's character, in an alleged Disney spin-off TV show. So in this episode, we're going to pick up right where we left off. We're going to be having a look at the Indiana Jones jackets and the continuity of the jackets that may or may not line up with some comments that Kathleen has made. We're also going to be having a look at some more rumors around the film, mainly the lingering rumor that Indiana Jones is killed off and is blinked out of existence in his own universe and replaced by Phoebe Waller-Bridges as a female Indiana Jones, as well as some of the comments made by the film's director, James Magnagold, on Twitter where he's got into a pretty heated debate with fans and YouTubers, claiming that Indy is not going to be replaced in any version of the script, and all these rumors are just internet lies. We're going to be having a look at that and a lot more, so without further ado, let's get into tonight's episode. This is episode 45 of The Truth Tank, Indiana Jones 5, and The Dial of Disney, Part 2. another article on empireonline.com that helps better explain how the Nazis fit into the Dial of Destiny. This article is also by Ben Travis, entitled Indiana Jones 5 will pit Indy against Nazis again in 1969. If there's something Indiana Jones hates more than snakes, it's Nazis. Ever since Rose of the Lost Ark, Harrison Ford's hero has been fighting Hitler's hordes, thwarting their plans, brawling with them, or even just letting them be hoisted by their own petrid when meddling with ancient mythical relics. And at the time this article was published, the film didn't have the title, The Dial of Destiny, yet. Indiana Jones 5 is set decades after the events of World War II. You'd be forgiven for thinking that Indy might have a different enemy this time around. Yeah, you would probably be forgiven that. They probably should have gone with a different, more original enemy and maybe not have rehashed the old... Nazi idea, but we'll have to wait and see to see if the Nazis actually fit into the story well, if it feels natural and not forced. But while much is new in the upcoming blockbuster, some things change. If Indiana Jones is back in action, so too are some familiar, fearsome forces. Empire can reveal that Indiana Jones 5 finds our hero in 1969, living against the backdrop of the space race, but the American effort to beat the Russians to the moon brings with it some uncomfortable truths for Indy. The simple fact is that the moon landing program was run by a bunch of ex-Nazis. Indiana Jones 5 co-wrote and acclaimed British playwright Jez Butterworth tells Empire, How ex they are is the question, and it gets up Indy's nose. Pitching Indiana, a man always looking to the secrets of the Earth rather than the stars, into the era of the astronaut finds him even more a man out of time. It's not just that the model of what the hero is has completely changed, says Butterworth. It's not just that they're looking for something where there's nothing up there. It's like Reno without the gambling, or whatever his line is. But the people that are behind it are, you know, his sworn enemies. Okay, that statement could be taken any number of ways. 
it's not just that the model of what a hero is has completely changed. So they're talking about benching Indiana Jones, the white male 80s action icon in favor of a more progressive, more diverse, woke hero. In recent weeks, James Mangnagold has tried to shut down a lot of rumors on Twitter. This kind of feeds into the plausibility of the rumors because when you hear, do hear statements like that, it can be taken a number of ways. And one of those ways works out very negative for Indy. If you want to look at it from one angle, that statement could be read as they're trying to get rid of Indiana Jones in, f in favor of a more progressive hero. They want to replace Indy with Phoebe Waller-Bridge's character. And that would definitely align with what Disney has done in the past and the Disney business motto. They're all about, about diversity and female empowerment. So let's get rid of the old white guy in favor of the young female who, who is this idealized stereotype that no one likes. They've done it with Star Wars. They've done it with everything they've ever touched. So why should Indiana Jones be any different? And if I was a betting man, their track record doesn't really seem to favor a positive side of that statement. So I'm kind of inclined to give a bit more credibility to the rumors. I don't always believe rumors about movies because you never know who's put them out. It could be rival studios, disgruntled employees. And like I mentioned on Ding Dong Oscars Dead about the attack ads and the Oscars campaigns. And just look what Harvey Weinstein did during Oscar campaigns. He completely made up fake news stories, released into the press. He claimed that directors were mistreating actors on the sets of movies and there's all these controversies surrounding the stars and the extras and the crew which were complete bullshit and completely falsified accounts and he released them to the media attack ads in the end did work so is this a similar thing we're seeing with these rumors is it just disgruntled producers and actors and studio employees or are the rumors true that this movie is indeed headed for rough waters? And the more Magna Gold comes out on Twitter pretty aggressively countering these rumors, the more it looks like these rumors are true. Because we've heard this from Kathleen Kennedy in the past about Star Wars. You know, they weren't going to touch Luke Skywalker, this wasn't going to happen, this wasn't going to happen. And in the end, some of the rumors turned out to be actually true. Who do you believe anymore? Enter Mads Mikkelsen's villainous Vola. Inspired partly by a real-life Nazi-turned-NASA engineer, Warner von Braun. He's a man who would like to correct some of the mistakes of the past, teases Mikkelsen of Vola. There is something that could make the world a much better place to live in. He would love to get his hands on it. Indiana Jones wants to get his hands on it as well. And so, we have a story. Okay, so... Maybe the Nazi angle kind of works out. If you do have a character like Vola, who is this SS henchman, who's a real bad prick in World War II, who gets pardoned and ends up working for NASA as a scientist. And once again, this did happen in real life. Warner von Braun was a high-ranking SS officer. He never received much punishment for his crimes in World War II. Instead, he, was, he got a pretty cushy job as the head engineer of NASA. So go figure. We do know from the backstory of Indiana Jones and from Kingdom of the Crystal Skull that Indy was in World War II. He was working for the OSS, which would be the modern-day equivalent of the CIA. 
gathering intelligence on the Germans. So, yeah, this could fit into it. And if the opening sequence of the film is to be believed with the de-aging technology and going back to 1944, that would make sense. If Indy is going undercover on a mission and encounters Vola and sees what a bad prick he is, he gets away, Vola escapes, disappears, and all of a sudden pops up decades later working for NASA. That could piss Indiana Jones off. And then you have a pretty good starting point to pick up the story in 1969. But it is curious. He does say he wants to make the world a better place. He doesn't seem to want to use it for nefarious reasons. But once again, only time will tell. It's a story that blends fact, fiction, fedoras, and fascists including a major action set piece at the Apollo 11 ticker tape parade in New York, thrown to celebrate the astronauts on the 13th of August 1969. The sequence not only sees Boyd Holbrook's nefarious clabber, I'm a lapdog to Mads, and a crazy one at that, the actor says. Caught up in the middle of the historic celebration, prepared to discover more about the past, present, and future of Indiana Jones, with more exclusives to come from Empire very soon. Oh, and an article. Okay, so yeah, maybe the rumours aren't true. Maybe Indiana Jones 5 will completely surprise everybody. Maybe the Dial of Destiny, whatever the object turns out to be, isn't as corny as first thought. But once again, I'm not putting too much faith or trust in what the producers have to say, especially if Kathleen Kennedy is involved. She has lied her ass off before. She has lied about the Star Wars games, the rise of Skywalker and basically the whole sequel trilogy. So her word means absolutely jack shit at this point. Magna Gold, I still hold out faith that he is telling the truth or trying to the best he can, given the circumstances and pressure he's under by Kathleen Kennedy and the executives at Disney. He's got a lot of weight on his shoulders. He's got a huge responsibility to pull off this movie to satisfy the fans, but also the corporate overlords that sign the checks at the end of the week. I don't envy him, and I think a lot of fans should probably cut him some slack. He's in a very tough spot, and as much as I absolutely adore Indiana Jones, I don't think I would like to direct an Indiana Jones movie if Kathleen Kennedy and Disney are pulling the strings behind the scenes. There's probably not a lot that can be done. Unless you're a Steven Spielberg, George Lucas, or a James Cameron, there's probably not a lot of pushback you can really give to the studios. You probably can't dictate a lot. There aren't a lot of modern directors that have the credibility or the history of making massive blockbuster films that are profitable, that are in the top 100 highest earning and most loved films of all time. So unless you are a big, huge director, there's not a lot of pushback against these huge studio decisions, especially Disney. They're just too corporate and too powerful for an average director to really voice their opinion. No matter how bad... The decisions of Kathleen Kennedy and Disney are. There's not a hell of a lot you can do, and I don't think James Mangold is quite the same caliber as a Steven Spielberg. Yeah, he's a brilliant director. He can tell a great story. But until your films gross billions, or you are that Scorsese, Spielberg, or Cameron-level director, the studios will walk right over you. So, KK is more than likely lying about Indy 5. She doesn't even seem to know the timeline that well. It doesn't say much for the producers of the film when they can't get the finer details of Indiana Jones's jacket down correctly. It mentioned in the first article I read that the producers of the film took the original Raiders of the Lost Ark leather jacket out of storage, measured it and recreated it thread by thread. It was tried on by Harrison and was used as the basis of the jacket in Indy 5, which would be incorrect. 
All the jackets in the Indiana Jones films differ slightly, and I'm about to get real nerdish on this. They're very subtle variations between the different jackets in the different films. So if they use the Raiders jacket in Indy 5, it would not match the jacket used in The Last Crusade and Kingdom of the Crystal Skulls. The Raiders jacket has smaller cargo pockets on the front of the jacket. It has smaller adjustable pulls on the side, a narrower collar, a smaller storm flap. It's also a bit more tighter fitting than the Last Crusade jacket. It's got more of a tailored look to it than the Last Crusade Kingdom of the Crystal Skull jacket. It's more form fitting. In the Temple of Doom, the pockets are a little bit different. I think they're slightly larger than the jacket featured in Raiders. The collar is of a different shape. Storm flaps a little bigger. Ties on the side differ slightly as well. Compared with the Last Crusade Kingdom of the Crystal Skull jacket, the Temple of Doom jacket is also a little looser fitting than the Raiders jacket due to the filming in India where it was humid and really, really hot. They changed the lining out from cotton backing and satin sleeves to an all satin lining, which gave Harrison a pretty nasty heat rash, which seemed to hospital for two weeks. So they had to change it back out to the cotton. The producers thought satin would be a more appropriate fabric for hot humid conditions, but unfortunately they were wrong. Compare that to the jacket in The Last Crusade and Kingdom of the Crystal Skulls, which has a larger, more profound collar, bigger storm flap, much bigger cargo pockets. It's also a more looser fitting jacket. It's more of a roomy cut. It doesn't have quite the tailored look that the previous jackets do. This is probably because Harrison was older in those films and wanted a more comfortable jacket. They're also filming in a dry arid location in the Jordanian desert. I also think the looser fitting jacket looks a bit better. Tight jackets never look quite right, especially leather jackets that are a bit too tight. The Last Crusade jacket looks a lot more comfortable. And I know this because I spent a lot of time researching it before I brought my Indiana Jones leather jacket and costume. I opted for the Last Crusade Kingdom of the Crystal Skull jacket because of the bigger pockets, bigger collar, and it looked like a more comfortable jacket. And I haven't compared the other two, but the one I have is pretty comfortable. I wear it all the time. It looks good. The leather is the same as in the film. The most noticeable difference is the pockets. If you look at the still of uh, the jacket you can buy compared to the jacket in the film, you can definitely see the difference in the hand pockets. They also made the side entry hand warmer a little bigger, so it's easier to fit your hand in. And this comes into play in The Last Crusade where he put, has to put his hand in the jacket to pull the lighter out. The collar size and shape is also another notable difference between the jackets. Before I knew that you could kind of tell there was a slight difference between the jackets, mainly the cut and fit of them. But now that I know there is a difference, it really stands out when you watch Raiders, Temple of Doom, and then The Last Crusade. Especially the Raiders jacket. The Temple of Doom jacket doesn't stand out as much and that wasn't really featured in the film as much as the previous three. Temple of Doom he spends most of the time without the jacket on. And he just wears a shirt mainly in the end of that film. The Raiders jacket definitely stands out the most. You can pick difference in it. It looks a little tighter. It looks a bit shorter compared to the other jackets. The pockets are pretty small. They are definitely noticeably small. When you first see it, they don't look like you could fit a hand in it. The collar is also much smaller than the other jackets. But my point being is... The producers, yes, I, th I suppose chronologically, the Raiders jacket would be the correct one, 
because in the world of Indiana Jones, the jacket doesn't change. It's always the same jacket. And I'm getting a little technical. But for continuity's sake, you would have to use the jacket last seen on screen, which would be the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull jacket. And that was the last jacket he wore, and this is, what, 10, 15 years after that film. Stands the reason, that's probably the jacket Indiana Jones would have. But then again, all the jackets are pretty much the same, and there's subtle, minor differences between the various jackets and films. But Kathleen Kennedy should have known that. So taking the Raiders jacket out of storage, I probably would have taken the Last Crusade jacket out of storage over the Raiders jacket. Because then the jacket in Indy 5 will match the jacket in Raiders and will be slightly off in the continuity. But then again, I'm rambling about leather jackets. Kathleen Kennedy should have known that and used the correct jacket in order to fit into the continuity of the Indiana Jones universe. But then again, Kathleen Kennedy he loves to destroy chronological order and legacy of films like she did in Star Wars. The chronology of the jacket and its details also fit with the chronological order of the Indiana Jones films. Temple of Doom being set in 1935, followed by Raiders of the Lost Ark in 1936, and The Last Crusade in 1938. So that would make the jacket from Dial of Destiny fit after Crusade and not Raiders. Unless I'm looking into that way too technically. So all in all, the Indiana Jones jackets should all be the same. They should all be basically the same as the Raiders jackets. But we do know they were changed over the course of the film, and if you watch the film and pay attention to the jackets, you can notice the changes. Especially The Last Crusade, the jacket and that has a completely different cut to it, and the bigger pockets and collars are very noticeable. For the continuity and chronology of Indiana Jones, the Indy 5 jacket should be the same as the one in Raiders of the Lost Ark, at least until 1944. We're assuming that the rest of the film is going to be set in the 1960s, which means the jacket should have been aged from the Kingdom of the Crystal Skulls, set in the late 50s. But I know what she meant, I'm just being overly picky. Time to move on. That isn't the first time she has put a foot in her mouth. She has fucked up basic Star Wars story facts when speaking to the media and at conventions, which is one of the worst places on earth you could fuck up Star Wars facts, especially if you're the person producing the films and TV shows. She's been questioned publicly about this before and she never has a good answer of why she doesn't know certain facts. But when she claimed there wasn't enough source material or comics or books to base the Star Wars films and TV shows off of, like the quote-unquote Marvel Universe, she ignored the fact that the Star Wars books have a pretty long and rich history in the Star Wars canon ever since before A New Hope came out. George Lucas released a Star Wars novelization a year before Star Wars A New Hope came out. It's called Star Wars from the Adventures of Luke Skywalker. They came out in 1976, a year before the film came out in 1977. Star Wars books have been produced ever since A New Hope hit theaters. Splinter of the Mind's Eye by Alan Dean Foster came out in 1978. It was written as a sequel to Star Wars A New Hope. Obviously it wasn't turned into a film. Empire Strikes Back is obviously the second Star Wars film to be made. But it shows you right off the get-go that Star Wars books coincided with Star Wars films. They were written alongside the films and in the decades after Return of the Jedi when there wasn't any films being produced for 20 years until the prequels. 
you had the Timothy Zahn series of books that came out in the early 90s. Heir to the Empire in 91, Dark Force Rising 92, followed by The Last Commander in 93. And she publicly made it the comment that there wasn't any Star Wars source materials or novels to base Star Wars stories on. She definitely got that one wrong. There's also hundreds of Star Wars comics to choose from. There's many different Star Wars series and comics following various characters in different timelines of the Star Wars universe. If you just look at the video games, Knights of the Old Republic and that whole series of storylines that take place thousands of years before the events of A New Hope. I do apologize for any background noise. I've got new neighbors who are moving in today at the time of recording, conveniently enough. They're still doing a lot of work on the house. There's a lot of power saws, which you can probably hear in the background. Lots of drilling and painting and music going on. They've been renovating the house for over seven months now, since they brought it back in March. It's a bit of a pain in the ass, to be honest. Every time I wanted to record so far this year, there's been a lot of background noise. I never know which days they have tradesmen working on the house. Some days there's no one there. Other days there's every man and his dog with saws and drills and sledgehammers. So I do apologize for that. You might think I'm being a bit harsh on Kathleen Kennedy, but as a producer of Star Wars and Indiana Jones and all these huge beloved franchises, she doesn't seem to know what is happening on her own productions. She doesn't seem to know the stories or backstories behind them. Compare that with Kevin Feige, who seems to know every character and storyline and story arc and subplot of the Marvel films. If you ask that guy a question about anything that happens in Marvel on a red carpet or at an award show or during an interview, he can tell you pretty much everything in detail. But when it comes to Kathleen Kennedy, she knows the vague basics, but she's not too good on the details. She was a producer on the original Indiana Jones films. She seems to have fooled everyone into believing that she is a great producer. Where I'm starting to question what she actually did on some of these productions. She's worked with the best in the business. Which makes you wonder, did she actually do anything on set of the original indie films? She's been around these franchises and stories and characters for a long time. So she should have a better respect for the legacy and the characters. And like we found out the hard way with the Disney sequel trilogy, she doesn't have any respect for the original characters. If she did, those films would be much better. So, so much for protecting and carrying on the legacy of these franchises she has worked on for decades. I think she should be more respectful. She was given the torch to carry by George Lucas. She had him fooled. He thought she ran a pretty tight ship and could produce films better than anyone. And she loves to play the oppressed feminist, but she is a rich white woman exploiting her power and influence over these franchises characters and the people who work for these companies she's in a position of power she's a typical feminist that is complaining about the treatment of women in hollywood yet she is doing exactly the same thing to men especially older white men in hollywood she is exploiting her power and influence over these franchises she also seems hell-bent on changing history much like revisionist history and the woke culture that picks and chooses what facts they want to recite and regurgitate she is doing exactly the same thing through the medium of film she's destroying old blood films and franchises and replacing and inserting them full of diversity gender politics and political correctness for the sake of it in her mind she probably thinks she is right in a wrong 
and I'm not saying there isn't a lack of diversity in Hollywood because I think it's pretty clear that there, there has been. There's also been a big problem with stereotyping, sexism, racism, lack of well-written female characters, a lack of female writers, directors, and producers. Hollywood definitely has a problem with discrimination. There's very much been a closed club for many decades. If she does have a problem with all the isms in Hollywood, she could have made a real and powerful change on an industry level. Instead of trying to right the wrongs that didn't exist in the franchises she has destroyed, she should have taken up that crusade against people like Harvey Weinstein and all the corrupt, perverted film producers that have been discriminating against men and women in Hollywood for decades. These producers that sit in their ivory towers in their studios who pass judgment on those trying to make it. I mean, it's not just women that have been discriminated against in Hollywood. And look how particular and judgmental and stereotypical it can be. It's made many dreams come true and it's destroyed just as many. It destroys as many lives as it enlightens. If she had a genuine problem with these things, she should have got the lightsaber and taken up the charge that way and not take it out on franchises like Star Wars and Indiana Jones that were always pretty inclusive and diverse to begin with. Because I'm not sure you get the same level of credibility when you manufacture a conflict within a franchise that never had any of the problems that you pretend and like to complain about. When you break it down and have a really detailed look at the issue of discrimination and diversity in Hollywood, it was perpetuated by people like Kathleen Kennedy, allegedly, and others like her in positions of power who do pass judgment and discriminate against people based on sex, race, religion, physical look, or social status. Because how many people have auditioned for films over the years and been turned away because they were too short, too tall, too fat, too big, too thin, too blonde? Not what we're quite looking for. We're looking for someone who is more at whatever excuse at the end of that sentence. How many people have heard this when they've auditioned for stuff or even applied for jobs and now Kathleen Kennedy's in this very privileged position of power. She's the head of a film studio, the most successful independent film studio in history. She's got the keys to the castle. She's running Lucasfilm. And if you, I mentioned this on an older episode when I covered the destruction of Star Wars by Disney. When you look at the people in charge of Lucasfilm now, they are pretty much all diversity hires. She has promoted J.J. Abrams' personal assistant and glorified coffee girl, the vice president of Lucasfilm. If you're running a multi-million or billion dollar company like that, wouldn't you want the best people in place to ensure that company or business's success? I know I would, rather than putting someone who is dangerously unqualified for the role of vice president and making them vice president. Don't promote anyone who's been there under George Lucas or who has worked there for decades. You go hire a young, wealthy, white female who's only a couple of years out of college and her first big break in the industry was J.J. Abrams' assistant. She's perpetuating the cycle rather than breaking it. And when you look at some of the people she's hired, there's a very obvious pattern. They're basically all women all women of diverse backgrounds who either have writing or producing roles. And these are the same people behind and writing 
some of the worst underperforming Star Wars films, which in turn has made Star Wars a pretty unprofitable business in the last couple of years, in terms of the movies anyway. The toxic feminist thing is getting pretty old by now. She is doing the exact same thing as she has accused so many rich white older men of doing in positions of power as heads of studios. I don't like labeling people, but it is starting to look like she is a bit of a sexist. A lot of Indian Star Wars fans out there will probably agree with me that they just want good Star Wars and Indiana Jones stories again. They just don't want lectures on wokeness or gender politics, especially from people who preach about discrimination and how hard done by people like they are and politics when you live in a mansion drinking imported bottles of water. By the way, she is married to an older, rich white man, a guy that is a decent bit older than her. This is also known as a gold digger. So going back to Indy, it's not very original if that is the case and the rumours turn out to be true. It's sad in fact. Disney wants to milk the last drops of profitability out of the Indy franchise the same way they did Star Wars and all the other IPs they've been remaking in the last couple of years. Disney doesn't care about legacy, story, characters or creativity. All Disney care about is profit and politics. Kill the past, replace it with a modern, diverse perspective, and let's try to make bucket loads of money out of it. Fuck them and fuck the woke. Disney doesn't think indie will work for a modern audience. Well, fuck them and twice on Sundays. Don't make it for a modern audience. Why don't they actually make an Indiana Jones film for Indiana Jones fans, instead of trying to use the excuse that the older character doesn't work for a modern audience, so we have to change things and make it more diverse so we can get a whole bunch of new new younger fans from a different generation to become Indiana Jones fans and they'll spend millions of dollars buying it, all the pointless bits of merchandise we bring out so we can profiteer off of another generation. Well, this generation really isn't spending as much as the older one did. There's too many distractions now. I think Disney really needs to change its business strategy. I completely understand getting a new fan base and reaching new fans but at the same time, you have to respect the original fans because they're the ones that put you in that position in the first place. And you know what? The modern generation, they're not the ones who have seen it anyway. They're not the ones that are going to go see the film two or three times and buy every bit of useless merchandise that comes out. They'll download it, stream it, watch it on their phone at a bus stop, say, meh, make a, make a social media post about it, and move on with their lives. And unfortunately, I think a lot of these companies... Listen to all the complaint on social media done by these younger generations and kind of think that we have to get on board, otherwise we're going to lose money. This is what's happening in society. We have to align ourselves with whatever cause is a prevalent one because we don't want to lose one single customer that might not buy one of our products. A lot of these people that are serial complainers about things online don't have anything better to do with their lives anyway, so fuck them. It's a couple of weeks ago I was at a convention. There's a lot of movie and TV actors from sci-fi films and shows, comic book writers, the usual convention crowd. I was walking down one of the comic book alleys and there was a guy selling Indiana Jones and Star Wars art. It was really cool. It's that really realistic style of artwork. I won't say his name, but he did a lot of poster art for Star Wars and Indiana Jones. That really cool, realistic looking artwork that appears on the posters and covers of DVDs and Blu-rays 
I brought one of his posters. I got talking to him. He's a employee of Lucasfilm. He travels around selling his art at conventions. I asked him what it was like to work there and if he knew George Lucas. He was personal friends with George Lucas. He's known him for about 30 years. He was saying that George was pretty flexible. He used to let him do whatever he wanted in terms of his art. He didn't have many restrictions. He was pretty open to let artists just work freely. He was saying that Lucasfilm used to be a really great place to work. That is until Disney took over. I asked him what had changed. And he said it's just the restrictions and the hoops that Disney make you jump through. They're a lot more restrictive. You don't have as much control or independence in your work as you did under George. George kind of let artists do what they wanted to. He gave them a lot more freedom to work. Whether he was saying there was a lot more restrictions by Disney, it was harder to get your work approved compared to George. You had to jump through a lot more hoops with Disney. They were a lot more restrictive on what was passable and what was not. It was a pretty interesting conversation. He was a really nice guy. And it was really interesting hearing that from a Lucasfilm employee. You really don't know the authenticity of rumors or stories. When you hear them on the internet or you hear them in an article or on a YouTube channel or something you really don't know, you really don't know the validity of some of these stories. So it was really interesting hearing directly from a Lucasfilm employee how how it has become harder to work under Disney. It gives a lot of credibility to all the rumors I've heard about Disney, about them being a shit place to work for and being really tough on their employees and wanting to micromanage everything. So it was really interesting talking to a Lucasfilm employee about how things have changed under the mouse. I have some hopes that Indy 5 will be a good film and not a complete and utter write-off. The indie character and legacy deserves one last adventure. The studios seem like they have had too much control and say over the script, unfortunately. So I am hopeful that James Magnagold can pull it off. As I said before, he is a great director. But the best directors and writers can't do much against studio interference and tyranny. What is a little concerning is James Mangold's Twitter tirade against YouTubers and fans who are pointing out some of these rumors and asking if they're true or not. He's kind of engaged in a bit of a Twitter war lately about the leaked plots. He's being very insistent that the rumors aren't true and it's just a bunch of internet rambling. Which I'm hoping that is the case too. I don't want this movie to suck. This is my pretty much my favorite character in film. I love Harrison Ford. I love Indiana Jones. I love the Indiana Jones jacket and hat. I'm really hoping that this movie is going to be good and give Indy the send-off he deserves. However, if the rumors are true about the test screenings, then we are in for a very bumpy ride. James Mangold has been pretty insistent that there hasn't been any test screenings as of yet, which wouldn't be unusual. Test screenings can, can take place pretty late in post-production, especially if there are multiple endings to a film and you know, there is a lot of studio in oversight and they are micromanaging everything because they want to make their money back. But it wouldn't surprise me either way. Either or could be true. So the two endings pretty much confirm our worst fears. Apparently one of the endings, Indiana Jones, is killed off. He dies and is replaced by Phoebe Waller-Bridges, which would be a very Kathleen Kennedy certified modern Disney way of ending a franchise like Indiana Jones. 
and I can kind of see that happening, unfortunately. And the other, Indiana Jones retires, and Phoebe Waller-Bridge's character takes over, becoming an archaeologist and adventurer, which would fit the plans for Disney's Indiana Jones show. I seriously doubt it's got Harrison Ford in mind. They've done the young Indiana Jones before, unless they want to recast Indiana Jones and make it a weekly show with a new adventure or mystery he has to solve. I'm not sure Disney is creative enough to pull that off. If you're going to have a 10-episode season where there's just another adventure week after week, it'd get pretty pointless if you had a bigger story and Indy had to spend a couple of episodes or a season figuring out this mystery or finding this relic. That might be okay, but it all comes down to who gets cast as Indiana Jones. Recasting Harrison Ford and carrying on the character of Indiana Jones is probably too risky given the failure of Solo. But at the same time, the more diverse, cheaper and safer option would be to go with Phoebe Waller-Bridges' character. There could also potentially be a reboot of the Indiana Jones franchise. This has been talked about and rumoured for many years. And as much as I like Chris Pratt, please for the love of God do not cast him as Indiana Jones. There was rumours a couple of years ago that who would be a good fit to take over a younger Indiana Jones and he was one of the actors that came up. I'm not sure he has the same personality. He's too funny. He doesn't have that dry, sarcastic sense of humour that Indiana Jones has. Or will Disney destroy another franchise for the sake of profits and diversity? So I have wondered myself, is there any truth to the Disney TV show? I hope to God... No, and if they do, it has to be Harrison Ford or CGI-rendered Harrison Ford. Because I don't know how I feel about Indiana Jones TV show. And and given the hit-or-miss success Disney has had with some of the Star Wars Disney Plus shows, an Indiana Jones show will probably suck. I haven't seen all the Star Wars shows yet. I've heard mixed things about the last few. The Mandalorian was excellent. I haven't seen Book of Boba Fett and or supposed to be pretty good, but... Obi-Wan is apparently meant to suck. So to find the answers, I had to go to empireonline.com again. And I found an article called Disney Aiming to Develop Indiana Jones TV Series by James White. With the, we want to say, fourth Indiana Jones film headed to cinemas next year. And star Harrison Ford declaring that he's done playing the role. You might imagine that this is the end of the line for the franchise. But this is Disney and Lucasfilm, so of course there are plans forming to do more. But what exactly? I think they mean the fifth Indiana Jones film. According to Variety, the companies have been bringing up the idea of a Disney Plus series set in the world of Indiana Jones. Movies in meetings with writers as they look to find someone to tackle the concept. Yeah, this is not a very well worded article and I'm surprised that it wasn't proofread better but at such early days that there's no idea yet on what it will actually be even this is pretty much just a rumor it might happen it might not which at the same time I'm not surprised because they'll probably wait for Indiana Jones to come out if it does well they'll probably invest the time and money into making a tv show if it flops they'll more than likely abandon the project because if Harrison Ford's done with Indiana Jones there's probably no point making a movie. I hope, hope to God they don't make a reboot. But this is Disney after all, and this is what they do. 
Of course, a indie prequel already exists in the world via 1990s TV series, The Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, and its made-for-TV specials. They're pretty good. There's also talk that there could be another spin-off movie. Ugh. And yeah, that's another option too. Knowing Disney, they'll probably go for the all-female Indiana Jones, whether this be via Phoebe Waller-Bridges' character, or some other version of a female character. I think Dr. Ray Jones has a nice spin to it. There's also talk that there could be other spin-off movies and shows. But that's all just chatter for now. The new Indiana Jones, yada yada yada, comes out the 30th of June next year. So back to James Magnagold's Twitter tirade. I do find it interesting that he has taken to Twitter to pretty vigorously defend Indy 5. He's been pretty adamant that the rumors aren't true and it's all a bunch of bullshit. So let's have a better look into that. This article's entitled James Mangold Fires Back at Indiana Jones Trolls. No one is taking over or replacing Indy. I hope to God that is true. It's by Josh Weiss. That's on sci-fi.com. They push controversial guesses as coming from sources to gain up clicks. Let it go. Following the premiere of the teaser trailer, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, James Mangold took to social media to set the record straight once and for all. You know what? I mean, you have to give him 10 points for defending this film to the end. Whether he's right or wrong, he's willing to stick by his product, I guess, and his movie. Posting a trio of tweets, the director fervently shot down rampant rumours that Phoebe Waller-Bridges, playing Indy's goddaughter, Helena Brody, is set to replace Harrison Ford as the iconic adventurer. This is a quote from Mangold. One more time, no one is taking over or replacing Indy or donning his hat, nor is he being erased through some contrivance, and he never was. Not in any cut or script. But trolls will troll. That's how they get their clicks, wrote Mangold, who was the first filmmaker to helm an Indiana Jones movie outside of Steven Spielberg. And please don't exhaust me pointing out how once in a while a troll is right. Even a blind squirrel finds a nut now and then. That's also a true statement. All one has to do is look at a set of photos and interviews and you get enough info to make wild guesses about a movie plot. The difference between trolling a-holes and everyone else is they're trying to make money off of your feelings about other films and culture war politics. They push controversial guesses as coming from sources to gin up clicks, let it go. You know what he is right, trolls do make money from clickbait and playing on people's emotions, especially when it comes to beloved film franchises. I mean, hey, I'm making a hour and a half, two hour podcast based on a trailer reaction, so I guess I'm no better. But yeah, he is right, a blind squirrel does find a nut now and then, but occasionally a troll also points out a piece of information that turns out to be correct. Let's just hope that this isn't the case. And you know what? He probably is telling the truth. But then again, you can't trust anyone or anything these days because people do lie. And and we've seen all this play out before with the Star Wars sequel trilogy. He probably is being honest or as honesty as he, as he thinks he is. Let's hope he is. Maybe there isn't a plan to erase Indy out of existence. Because I think that would be one of the worst 
things you could possibly do to the final film of a beloved legacy. It's pretty much shame that everything that came out before is completely null and void. I don't even think Kathleen Kennedy has the lady balls to pull that off. Disney maybe, but at the same time it doesn't really serve much point because that would piss off every Indiana Jones fan. And within the first few days, word is going to spread like wildfire through the internet that Indiana Jones is just being destroyed by Disney and no one's going to go see it, therefore affecting their profit margin. And any future indie content that Disney brings out would be a pretty risky gamble and probably not make a lot of money back. The other rumor, where Phoebe Waller-Bridge's character takes over from Indiana Jones and becomes a new adventurer, I can definitely see that happening. That's got Disney and Kathleen Kennedy's stink all over it. And you know what? I'd actually be surprised at this point if it didn't happen. This is basically the same story arc for The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi and Rise of Skywalker. So I can definitely see that one coming true. Appearing on today's show in 2019, Ford was asked about who he'd like to see don the fedora and whip once he retired. And this is a quote by Harrison Ford. Nobody is going to be Indiana Jones. Don't you get it? Said the actor. Placing a fatherly hand on the shoulder, shoulder of host Craig Melvin. I'm Indiana Jones. When I'm gone, he's gone. It's easy. Fucking A. I hope that now the movie is done. And Harrison has said that he is retiring from Indiana Jones. They leave it at that. He retires. They make no more Indiana Jones movies or TV shows with the Indiana Jones character. Fair enough. If you want to have a spin-off show involving... Waller Bridges' character, cool, do it. I'm not going to watch it. I don't give a shit. A lot of older Indiana Jones fans are probably not going to see it either. Cool. Disney can waste all the money they like. Doesn't affect me. Maybe they try the other option and produce a TV show on Mutt Williams and he takes over from his father. It wouldn't be anywhere near as good, but at least it's passable as some type of new indie content and it wouldn't feel as forced or full of identity politics. Maybe they can have the Helena character come into that and Bob's your uncle, kill two birds with one stone and you don't got to produce two separate shows. I do like that statement from Harrison Ford. Nobody is going to be Indiana Jones. Don't you get it? I'm Indiana Jones. When I'm gone, he's gone. It's easy. Fucking end of story. And also what Mangolds said is also very true, especially in the internet age. People will piece together photos or bits of footage they see in a trailer and put the whole story together in their head and come up with possible scenarios. I mean, I've, I've just done it in this episode. You know, people will see someone, a photo of someone on set and come up with this whole grandiose story arc that they're going to do this or replace that. I remember when Rise of Skywalker was coming out, there was a picture of a ship and someone came up with a whole time travel plot. Maybe they had some legitimate information that that was a story arc that J.J. Abrams was looking at. But there wasn't much validity to it. It was a picture of a ship, and I don't even think that shot made it into the final film. It could have been... Actually, no, I think it was a flashback or something. I've only seen that movie once, so I don't have any interest in seeing it again. It was a flashback scene of Ray's parents or something, and it was basically the ship that they used to dump her on Jakku. It was nothing more, nothing less. And, you know, that was in the trailer. Someone used their imagination and came up with a convenient story that suited the narrative that they were trying to push. 
And with so many YouTubers and bloggers and podcasters now, everyone's got their own take or the narrative that they think they want to see based on footage in the trailer or photos. And I've done it on this episode, so whatevs. But obviously, James Mangold knows how the film starts. He knows the middle and he knows the end. So he's probably the, the most qualified person on Earth at the moment to give us information about Indy 5. Whether we listen or not, it's a different story. But like I said, it always comes back to the lies and deceits pushed by Kathleen Kennedy and Lucasfilm and Disney over the past couple of years. And that's not, they're not the only producers or film studios that have lied to the movie-going public. Set against the backdrop of the 1969 moon landing, Dollar Destiny finds Dr. Jones on the other globetrotting quest to find a mystical artifact before a group of ex-Nazis now working for NASA do. Okay, that story does sound a little better than some of the rumors, so hopefully this is what we get. The more information that comes out about the story, the better it sounds. As we speculated last week, the fan theories about time travel playing a major role in the plot are looking more and more valid. Yeah, and that's the biggest concern is the time travel. Like I mentioned before, it's either done very well or horrifically bad. So maybe time travel does fit the world of Indiana Jones and it does pan out, or it could just wreck the whole timeline because you know, this is what happens when you start to fuck with time in movies is it usually wrecks the entire timeline or franchise. Even if that's not the case, however, the movie will still dial back the clock for its opening prologue, in which Indy fights his way through a castle teeming with German soldiers during the final days of World War II to make Ford look like his Raiders-era self, the production made use of pioneering digital de-age technology, which as I previously alluded to, it should be Last Crusade-era Indy. Last Crusade was set in 1938, this one's set in 1944, it should have been Crusade Indy, not Raiders Indy, he would have been too young. In fact, they need to age Indiana Jones six years from 1938 to 1944. De-age Harrison Ford back to 1989, which would have been 1938 in The Last Crusade, and then they need to age him six years to 1944. My hope is that although it will be talked about in terms of technology, you just watch it and go, oh my god, yada yada yada, that's a quote from Kathleen Kennedy I mentioned before. John Rhys Davies reprising the fan favorite role of Sulla, Antonio Banderas, Seanette Rennie, Wilson, Thomas Kretschmann, Toby Jones, Boyd Holbrook, Oliver Riches, Ethan Isdor, and Mads Mikkelsen co-star Frank Marshall and Simon Emanuel produced the feature. Steven Spielberg and George Lucas, godfathers of cinematic poetry, return as executive producers. So who knows what to believe anymore? Mangold might be telling the truth, or he might be lying. Or he might be stretching the truth a little. Do I think Indiana Jones would be replaced by Phoebe Waller-Bridges in a Disney Plus TV show? I'd say the chances are pretty likely. Do I think they will kill Indy off? Yes, I think they probably will, given Disney's track record with Harrison Ford characters. They disrespectfully killed Han Solo in A Force Awakens. There was little regard for the legacy of the Han Solo character. So it's entirely possible they're going to do exactly the same thing to Indiana Jones. So I had to do more digging on if what Mangold is saying is true. And this is all a bunch of 
trolling a-holes, just talking shit on the internet. So banning into comics.com, I found an article, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny director, James Mangold, calls leakers, trolling a-holes, claims rumors Indiana Jones will be replaced are not true. It's very similar to what was in the other article, but there are a couple of things at the end of this article that are worth paying attention to. Rumors regarding Indiana Jones being replaced by Phoebe Waller-Bridge's character in the upcoming film go back to June 2021. When YouTuber Overlord DVD reported, two endings are supposedly being considered in the script. I guess they've been writing and they are going to shoot both of them. Both endings allegedly have old Indiana Jones dying at the end of this movie. Hmm, interesting. That statement brings up a few questions. How does a YouTuber have access to this information that is supposedly kept secret by a film studio? I don't know anything about this particular YouTuber, so he may have contacts or work in the industry. I don't know. But looking at this for the first time, I have to ask questions. Where does this guy get the information from? Not uncommon for films to shoot two different endings for a film or to write two or three different endings. It's pretty common. Let's not hit the panic button just yet. And how does this guy know that Indy is allegedly killed in both versions of the movie? I hope that doesn't happen, but that's a better ending than him being replaced by Phoebe Waller-Bridges. And having her take over the character of Indiana Jones and completely ruining Harrison Ford's legacy. And going back to the comments Harrison Ford made about he is Indiana Jones and the character stops with him. Hopefully that is the case and if that means Indiana Jones dies in Indy 5, that's a much better outcome than the character being taken over by a 30-something year old diversity hire who continues his adventures in some type of twisted perversion of the Indiana Jones story. That's a much better outcome than having Phoebe Waller-Bridges' character take over from Indy. If they do a spin-off and they make it into a TV show, yeah, fine, whatever. Like, like I said before, I'm not going to see it, don't give a shit. But why can't you just have a older Indiana Jones retire and ride off into the sunset? Why can't he just sit on his porch with a cigar and a brandy and watch the sunset? And that's the problem with a lot of Hollywood movies. It doesn't need to be this over-exaggerated, highly dramatic ending. In every movie, you can just have a more of a subtle character send-off. It's more satisfying that way. Rather than having a character heroically die at the end of a series. But in one of the rumoured endings, young Indiana Jones dies alongside old Indiana Jones. And Phoebe Waller-Bridges swoops in like a vulture, picks up the hat and takes up his place moving forward, he adds. Yeah, um... That ending would be horrific and a crime to cinema. That would completely ruin the entire Indiana Jones series and make everything that's happened in the four previous films completely and utterly redundant. It also reduces the Indiana Jones character. It makes him trivial and a parody in his own universe. If old Indy meets young Indy, helping him, and, and then they both end up dying and being blinked out of existence, only to have his long-lost granddaughter who hasn't been mentioned in any of the previous films, come into this one, pick up the hat and whip and continue his adventures like nothing has happened, would be a complete and utter crime. And if that happens, Magna Gold and Kennedy need to be jailed for crimes against cinema. But then again, how do these YouTubers know this? Is this just making shit up for the sake of views and clicks? Like Mangold said, I try not to pick sides. There's probably truth on both sides of the coin. And there's also complete lies on both sides. People in Hollywood lie. People on YouTube lie. But they also do tell the truth. 
A separate rumour from the Daily Mail in September 2021 claimed Phoebe Waller-Bridges is being tipped to replace the veteran actor as a female version of the fictional professor of archaeology in the adventure movie franchise. Once again, I wouldn't put this past Kathleen Kennedy or Disney. As of time of this recording, the rumours about Indy retiring or being killed off and replaced by Waller-Bridges are only rumours, but they are most likely true. From everything I've heard so far about the film... It's been just okay. Bob Iger had a preview screening and he wasn't very impressed. He made a phone call to Kathleen Kennedy after the screening claiming that she needs to fix this. Is that the ending of the film or is that the whole film in general? Because all reports so far is that it's an average film. Even Bob Iger isn't looking too impressed. He, he has said, I don't know if he's said, but the rumors are that he, he, think, he thought it was pretty average and so do a lot of other people, which is a very disrespectful way to send Indiana Jones off into the sunset. This being the final film, it should have been done right. And with all these resources at the disposal, Kathleen Kennedy and Disney have still fucked it up. Because they're pandering to an audience that doesn't support their product or even bother seeing the movies that they like to complain about. Rather than making the fifth and final Indiana Jones a, a good film worthy of being placed among the other four Indiana Jones films, rather than please the indie fans, the true fans, you've bent the knee to political correctness, gender politics, and social identity. An anonymous source told the Daily Mail's show business editor, Katie Hind, about the rumour. It would be a huge statement and a great role for Phoebe. Yeah, would it? Because as far as I know, she's really a nobody of an actor. Yeah, she's kind of known, I guess. The only thing I've ever seen her in is Solo, and she really just provided the voice for that fucking ludicrous pansexual droid she's more known for her writing than her acting if phoebe waller bridges is going to take over from harrison ford who is a very iconic and profitable movie star and she isn't really that well known it doesn't seem like a very good business move on disney's part you'd think you'd want to go for someone a little more known at least someone with a decent fan base that are going to make people want to sign up to disney plus and binge watch the show on a weekly basis like, I could picture it happening if it was like a Jessica Alba, someone who hasn't been in a lot of movies or TV in the last couple of years, but someone who is a noticeable and bankable star. I can't see Phoebe Waller-Bridges carrying a franchise with the legacy and history of it, like Indiana Jones. I just don't think anyone would pay to see her as a female Indiana Jones in the cinema. Maybe as a spin-off TV show, I can, I can kind of see that working, but not as a movie. No one... Disney would have to be out of their fucking mind to produce a $150, $200 million film and have her in it and give her the responsibility of carrying most of the success of this film, especially if they kill off the franchise hero, Indiana Jones, and Harrison has nothing to do with it. But then again, they did give the role of Ray to a relatively unknown or not very well-known actress in Daisy Ridley in The Force Awakens. Even a TV show, I think, would be a bit of a stretch. I don't think Waller Bridges has the fan base or the notoriety as an actress to even carry a television show. Maybe, but who the fuck's going to watch it? And I don't think there's going to be too many people tuning in every week to see the adventures of Dr. Helena Shaw. Without the Indiana Jones character, I don't think it works. I mean, it might work for a season, maybe two, if you had the adventures of Mutt Williams, but yeah, I'm not sure even... He could carry his own show, even if it was Shia LaBeouf playing him. 
I don't think a show starring her is going to do that well. But then again, Disney loves wasting their money. They pump a lot of money and in, in politics into these shows, expecting them to do well. There's a lot of division in Lucasfilm at the moment, especially with the direction of television shows produced by Kathleen, as opposed to the ones produced by Dave Filoni and John Favier. She seems to be just doing her own thing. She's obsessed with the identity politics angle and gender diversification of everything she touches. And if that is the core of your story, your business motto is pretty much destined to fail. You're deliberately trying to write to cater to these people. They're not going to support the business model either way. They like to complain, but they don't like to support. If you are writing a show or a movie based on those reasons, it's doomed to fail. Indiana Jones is timeless. I don't think the new adventures of Dr. Helena Shaw has quite the same ring to it or quite the same feel. It'll just be packed full of gender politics and social messaging and a whole female angle. Not that there's anything wrong with that, and yeah, that could work. It just has to be done properly. Get the politics out of it and have a female explorer. Go for it. And the case study on this is Tomb Raider. The games are highly successful. They've been around for what, over 20 years now. They have a built-in fan base. Yet the movie still sucked. The movies were average, and while they weren't box office flops, they weren't setting the box office on fire. They weren't breaking any records. They were pretty much average. Especially the last one. The last one was a good movie. It was well cast. They tried to do this more realistic, gritty origin story. And a bit of a spoiler alert if you haven't seen it. That is until the end, where they took all the supernatural stuff out of it and completely ruined it. Because that was half the fun of Tomb Raider. Like Indiana Jones, is you have this supernatural element to it that makes it a bit more exciting than having a archaeologist just digging stuff up in tombs. The games have the supernatural element, so I don't know why they took it out of the last film, because it completely ruined it. I think they kept the supernatural element with the Angelina Jolie ones, I can't really remember, it was a long time ago, and those films weren't that great. So it's not so much that there hasn't been this female adventure, it just it hasn't been done right, and I don't know, it just doesn't seem to translate well, because Tomb Raider has that built-in audience of the games, so it should have been a hit. This could just be a case study for movies based on video games. They just don't, do not seem to translate well into movies. They seem to work better as TV shows. Because the Resident Evil's fucking sucked. Too much was changed. There's been a few okay game movies. The Warcraft movie was, you know, was alright. I haven't played Warcraft, so I'm not a huge fan of it. There's been one really good video game adaptation I've seen, and I can't even remember what it was. And if Kathleen gets her way and has this Waller Bridges led show, it'll just be a show for feminists and beta bitches. So Kathleen Kennedy's perception that there are no female characters or no female characters in action sci-fi movies is completely bullshit. I don't think it's so much an issue that there are no female explorers or action heroes, as this has been proven in Tomb Raider and many other films. So the issue isn't so much there are no female action heroes or female heroes in adventure films. It's more so of an issue that it hasn't been done right or it hasn't been done correctly yet. Because I guarantee you if James Cameron was making a female-led explorer film, it would work. He's done this before. And after all, we've had female characters in sci-fi and action movies many, many times before. James Cameron's responsible for directing a few of them. Sigourney Weaver in Aliens. Ripley is tough if not tougher than most of the male characters in the movie. 
Sarah Connor in Terminator and Terminator 2. She's far scarier than Terminator. She's one of the most badass female characters in cinematic history. So the whole argument that there are no female characters in these movies is complete bullshit. They're just not done well. KK had the chance to change that with the Disney Star Wars sequel trilogy, but she went generic and stereotypical, and that's that's part of the reason those films suck. James Cameron can seem to make these characters work. Why can't anyone else? In terms of Tomb Raider, I don't think the Lara Croft character is as likable as Indiana Jones. Indy's a more down-to-earth character from a normal background where Lara Croft is a rich, pampered kid living in a mansion. Yeah, Dad disappears and she's on the trail trying to find him. She's trying to go through his work to try and find clues with this you know, big conspiracy going on in the background by some company trying to find artifacts to, for you, to use them for nefarious purposes. I can't really remember the stories for all those games. If Tomb Raider was written properly, it would definitely work. It would probably be a really good TV show, have that bigger story expand over several episodes rather than a hour and 50 minute, two hour movie. The character of Rey didn't work because she was a walking, talking cliche. And you compare that to Princess Leia, Padme, Ellen Ripley, Sarah Connor, they're all very unique, individual, realistic characters. They're not better than anyone else in the cast. They don't stand on a pedestal. They make mistakes and they get the living shit kicked out of them. Ray is pretty much a perfect being that can't make mistakes and does can't get beaten. She knows everything before it's happened. She doesn't need to be told anything because she knows better than Luke Skywalker or Kylo Ren or Han Solo. Ray failed because she was a cliche, a stereotype, and she represented everything that is wrong with political correctness, gender politics, and horrific writing and directing. Alicia Vikander in The Last Tomb Raider was good. The directing was pretty decent. The story was good. There wasn't any political crap. It was just a... It was a good action-adventure story. It was nothing we haven't seen before. Nothing really that original either. But it was decent enough. Its biggest downfall was its lack of imagination. As I said before, getting rid of the supernatural stuff really did hurt that story. It could have been much better, but it could have also been a hell of a lot worse. It's much better than the Angelina Jolie early 2000s Tomb Raider movies. But until this episode, I haven't even thought about that film, either of those films, for a very long time. So the point being, Tomb Raider proves that a female explorer, archaeologist, action hero can and does work. It works in games. It can work in movies and TV. The reason it doesn't work is not because it's a female action hero, it's because of bad writing, bad directing, and political correctness gone awry. When you introduce stereotypes rather than good story, characters tend to suffer, along with your story and movie. And the more Disney panders to political correctness and social issues, the more the art suffers. It can work, it does work, it's been proven to work. It doesn't work usually because of bad writing and directing, not because of ignorant, entitled white male moviegoers who don't want to spend money on a female action hero. I think that is bullshit. If it's a good story and a good movie, people will pay and come and see it, regardless of if it's male character, female character, black, white, yellow, pink, red, or green character. But then again, stranger things happen, and it is Disney and Kathleen Kennedy we're talking about. Another source stated the gossip on set is that the character will slot into the leading role. This could be bullshit and just another internet rumor because there's all these anonymous sources, there's no background. Where do these quote-unquote anonymous sources get any of this information? 
This could just be trolling or, you know, baiting for a story. If you have a female character or any type of new character in a franchise film, like indie or Star Wars, there's always going to be some rumor about it that the new character is going to take over from the old one. It's not really a new line of thought either. We've seen this play out many times in movies and TV shows. With the release of the first trailer for the film, as well as the film's title, Magna Gold responded to a Twitter user referencing the rumors from Overlord DVD. In an outdated tweet, the user wrote, Well, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny looks amazing, James Mangold, but if Indy dies and is erased from existence with Phoebe Waller-Bridges taking over, then you won't hear the end of it, sir, and rightfully so. He won't hear the end of it, and he'll get a tainted legacy like Ryan Johnson or J.J. Abrams. He added, I hope that Doomcock dude is wrong. Just have Indy and Marion retire. Yeah, why can't they do that? Have them retire. They're already married from the last film, so why can't he just retire with her? And you know what? I hope they put Marion in this one. There needs to be some closure to some of the legacy characters. I hope, hopefully Marion makes a return in it. Sulla is, so there's a good chance that maybe Marion will as well. Mangold replied, One more time, no one is taking over, or replacing Indy or donning his hat, nor is he being erased through some contrivance. And that's the quote we heard before. This isn't the first time Mangold has responded to rumours regarding Indiana Jones being replaced by Phoebe Waller-Bridge's character. In the middle of November, Mangold responded to rumours about disastrous test screenings, claiming that there were never any test screenings at all. He further claimed that the rumours regarding Phoebe Waller-Bridge's replacing Indiana Jones were not true. He then specifically addressed Overlord DVD's rumours, telling one user, it's up to you who you believe, an anonymous troll named Basement Dwell and Doomcock, or the actual director of the film. He added, no one will ever replace Indiana Jones, not in any script, not in any cut, never discussed. I pray to God that's true. However, Mangold already has a penchant for lying when it comes to Indiana Jones. Back in July 2021, Mangold got caught lying about degrading YouTuber Matthew Kadish, who expressed his concerns about Indiana Jones on Twitter. Kadish wrote to editing one, thinking Indiana Jones 5 might be good, just a little... Just let me point out, one, Spielberg is not directing, Kathleen Kennedy is producing, Harrison Ford is 78 years old, and it's written by Jonathan Kasdan, who wrote Solo. Mangold responded, thanks Matt, keep making the world a better place, crapping on things in the first week of production from your basement. Yeah, it's not the first time these executives and directors and producers of films have called YouTubers or Twitter users basement dwellers. It is pretty insulting considering that these quote-unquote basement dwellers are the ones that are going out and supporting their films. So it's like McDonald's pissing on its fucking customer base before it even gets in the door. You don't want basement dweller money that's not as green as everyone else's. It is pretty insulting. Everyone who likes movies or who is a nerd lives in a basement. I'm a bit of a nerd myself. I don't live in a basement. Don't even have a basement. So they should probably pull their heads out their ass when they talk to these people because if there's one thing history has taught us the power of the internet isn't going away anytime soon never seen a script by john nothing against him just reality but a worse than i started from a blank page yada 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 he wrote on to describe caddish as a clickbaiter and nightcrawler yeah okay now it's not the other term that's been thrown around a lot is clickbaiter i'm not sure what a nightcrawler refers to 
he wrote, thanks Axe, I don't mind people griping and procrastinating, but on my watch, false info, ageism and snark from so-called journalist is going to be confronted directly and forcefully. If that's a legitimate concern from the director, you'd think there would be a more emphasis on Indy riding off into the sunset, and this being the last great adventure, rather than all this, all these rumours about the young female character taking over from the older male character. IMO, these clickbaiters like to dish it out, but like night, night crawlers can't stand the light, he added. Less than a month after this exchange, Mangold will take to Twitter again, writing, Um, I never said people who criticise me live in basements. People criticise me all the time and don't get such comments. I think you know what caused me to reply to the specific clickbaiters the way I did, and I have said I am sorry in my anger, and I, sp I spoke too broadly. Kadish reacted to Mangold's lie and spin writing. First thing Mangold said to me was that I was a basement dweller. Not only is Mangold willing to lie about something this minor, YouTuber Yellow Flash notes, we've seen this before. We saw it with the Kevin Smith and Clownfish TV. Clownfish TV came out and said He-Man's barely in it and he's not going to be the main hero. That's going to be Teela, or Teller, however you say it. And Kevin Smith was like, I wrote or supervised the script and directed it. If anybody knows, it's me. And that's not true. He-Man is a major part of the story or whatever he said. I don't remember the exact quote, but basically he was lying. And guess what? Clownfish TV got vindicated, he stated. Yellow Flash then notes he's lost all of his credibility because of that show. The same is going to happen to you if this is fake, James Mangold. The YouTuber then opined, but the reason he's out there making these kinds of tweets is because of the fact that, well, there's a lot of credibility that this is true and the trailer confirmed it. Hopefully that was all just bullshit, but like the article just outlined, we've seen this too many times now. Not to believe that there isn't something behind these rumours. And if Clownfish TV had good information on He-Man and he was proven right, then maybe everyone who was pointing out the rumours about Indy 5 is right as well. And Kevin Smith is a bit of a fucking prat. I wouldn't trust much that he says anyway. But the point is, if a YouTuber can get this information on a Kevin Smith project... He tweets, it, he tweets about it to the director and writer. The writer and director denies the rumours as complete bullshit, claiming that he knows best because he wrote and directed it. Then the project comes out and ultimately the YouTuber is proved right. This doesn't really go that great for Mangold. He's kind of doing the same thing, using the same tactic, being very aggressive in defending the rumours. But maybe all the basement dwellers and YouTubers will be proven right and Mangold will be made to look like a fool. I guess only time will tell. But no matter what Disney or Kathleen Kennedy try to do, nothing can take away from the magic of the original films. Raiders of the Lost Ark, Temple of Doom, The Last Crusade, Kingdom of the Crystal Skulls are among some of the best action adventure movies ever made. So let's hope there's a spot among them for Indy 5 and the Dial of Destiny. Something tells me that won't happen. But I'm a hopeless optimist, so we can only hope. February of last year, February 2021, my local cinema played the Indiana Jones trilogy. It was the end of February, I think February 27th, something like that. It was at the height of COVID, there wasn't a huge amount of movies coming out. 
especially new ones. All the ones that were supposed to come out were all still delayed and put on hold. So a couple of cinemas around the place put on the Indiana Jones movies. A few cinemas played the individual movies over the course of a couple of weeks. But on that day, they had all three of them back to back to back. It was Indiana Jones Movie Marathon. It's 30 bucks a ticket, which was pretty good, or $15 per film. I remember the dude in front of me, he only wanted to buy tickets for Raiders and Temple of Doom. He uh, outrightly refused to pay for Last Crusade. I don't know why. People don't like that movie. It's one of my favorites. Bit of a different Indiana Jones. I think people thought it was too funny, but you know what? Fuck them. It's a great movie. Despite the fact the lady selling the tickets told him it would have been cheaper to buy tickets for all three, he still put up a fight. She goes, no, if you buy the trilogy, you can just leave when The Last Crusade starts. It works out to be the same price. So if you decide to stay, you can. Then he eventually changed his mind. Anyway, it's one of the best experiences I've had going to a cinema. I love going to the movies, but seeing classic films you love and you grew up watching on the big screen is a real privilege. I hadn't seen any of the Indiana Jones films in the cinema. I was too young. I saw, obviously saw Kingdom of the Crystal Skulls when it came out. You know, that was 2008. That's obviously a bit different, but I hadn't seen any of the originals. I love seeing movies I watched when I was a kid that I hadn't seen in the cinema on the big screen. I remember seeing Alien and Predator for, as a double feature once. That was fucking cool. Vintage Schwarzenegger on the screen, big screen. I mean, I've seen the movies hundreds of times before, but as, you know, as soon as that Paramount logo comes up and it changes into the mountain and then you see the silhouette of Indy come into frame, it takes you straight back to being a kid. It was great. It was one of the best cinema experiences I've ever, ever had. It felt like an hour. It didn't feel like nearly five, five and a half hours in the cinema. There were short intervals in between each film. It started about 1, 1.30 in the afternoon and finished about 7. It was great and nothing can change that experience. So even if Indiana Jones 5 does suck and does destroy the entire franchise and Harrison Ford's legacy, which I'm hoping it doesn't, we will always have the original Indiana Jones films and I'll always have that memory of going and seeing Indiana Jones on the big screen for the first time. Nothing can change how good the original films are. I mean, even The Kingdom of the Crystal Skulls is a great film, despite what people say. I enjoyed it. And nothing can take away the feeling of seeing the original Indiana Jones trilogy on the big screen. Not even Kathleen Kennedy or Disney. So fingers crossed it's going to be good and not a massive flop, or just average or okay, like all the rumours are alluding to. But I guess only time will tell, and that is the end of the show. On the next episode, to celebrate Avatar 2 The Way of Water, we're going to be having a look at the original Avatar. We're going to be having a look at the history of the story, as well as some of the challenges faced by James Cameron and the crew during production and post-production, such as advancements in digital cinema technology, motion capture, visual effects, and the massive amounts of data storage needed to render and process all the 3D film. We'll also be having an in-depth look at the history of motion capture, and then we're going to get into the third part of Russia vs. Ukraine, the lie of communism. This episode has been over a year in the works, and it is nearly done. I've got a big year planned for 2023. We're going to get into some more fun topics this year, a lot more conspiracy, 
a lot more alternative history, as well as UFOs and ETs this year, as well as the war on pop culture. We'll be having a look at the disaster that is DC Films and the changeover of ownership into James Gunn and the other guy that I can't remember, as well as the clusterfuck that is Ezra Miller. We'll also be delving into the world of the creepy in the paranormal and supernatural, so definitely stick around for them. Right, if you like The Truth Tank, there's a couple things you can do to support the show. You can rate and review The Truth Tank. It helps the show grow and get found. Follow and like The Truth Tank on Facebook and Instagram. Share the podcast around, share the episodes, tell your friends, tell your family, tell people you work with, anyone who you think might like the show. Nothing beats word of mouth. Share the episode, share the Facebook page, the Instagram page. Help get the word out there. Big thank you to everyone who listened to the end. I'll be back in a couple of weeks with a new episode. Until then, I'm the Tank. This is the truth. May the truth be with you. Thank <laughs> you.